TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. And now, you're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. We're very privileged and very pleased that we have with us somebody who is in the Yiddish parlance a big machere. He was communication strategist, political advisor, CEO. He was one of the longest serving Trump advisors. He's a spokesman for the Donald Trump 2016 presidential campaign transition team, senior advisor to the Trump 2020. 20 election campaign. He was a partner, executive vice president at Jamestown Associates. You could have watched him between 2017, 2018 on CNN. And then he moved to Newsmax. And now he's the CEO of a new company called Getter, a conservative social network. And I thank Ushi Teilbaum and Palm Tree Relations for helping setting up our interview. So, Jason, good to have you on the program. Thank you for joining us. Zev is great to be with you. Uh, glad to be here on uh, uh, Talkline, and uh, this is this is exciting. Boy, there's a there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and glad to be right in the right in the thick of it. You were right in the thick of it during the Trump administration, and you worked with him afterwards. Are you still in touch with Donald Trump? Uh, yes, in fact, actually, uh, just today I spent about an hour with him uh, over in his office at Trump Tower, uh, which was good. We were talking about Getter. I uh, don't have any news to make. Um, uh, right this moment, but uh, so that's so going to answer that question before you ask it. Um, but uh, I'm continuing to be a, a very a squeaky wheel, uh, and uh, so we had we had a good conversation today. <clears throat> I'll just uh, I'll leave it at that. But uh, I think President Trump is someone who uh, look. I mean, he'll he'll tell you he won in 2016 because of social media. He realizes that the way that the world is shifting, that now free speech only matters if uh, certain people agree with your free speech um, and political discrimination is really rampant. And I mean, that's not only why um, say I, I wrote an op-ed that's in today's Washington Times about how this last year has been the worst year for censorship in America's history, uh, but also part of the reason why I helped to launch Getter, free speech platform, uh, where we'll make sure that nobody gets deplatformed or canceled because of uh, the, how they're expressing their political beliefs. No, I, I hear, and obviously technology is changing, and from what I've read, and we'll talk about it shortly, how Getter is using new cutting-edge technology to make its impact. But you ran the president's 2016 campaign, 2020. You represented him as well. Does that mean you're going to be there helping him in uh, four years from now as well? <laughs> um, I do have to say, so I'll give you a little bit of a dodge uh, in that uh, uh, he is not. You don't have to dodge me, not mind, on CNN. But he, he very much sounds like someone. Um, he very much sounds like someone who uh, is. Uh, is planning on running. Uh, he has not said the magical words to me, uh, but he, he, he sounds like someone who's running. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of put it at that. Uh, and the answer is, uh, of course, if, if President Trump's running for anything else, I'll be uh, there to, uh, to help him in, uh, in, uh, in every way possible uh, that I can. But, uh, you know, until he says the magic words, um, you know, we're, we're not quite there yet. First, I need to get him on the Getter platform, then we can talk about uh, uh, winning in 2024. But uh, first, I got to get him signed up. I'm curious now, did you get any reaction from him because Cuomo was his nemesis and never took an opportunity not to attack Donald Trump? Does he feel any sense of elation or vindication that here you have 
uh, Andy Cuomo in New York accused of all kinds of things, and he wouldn't take, he wouldn't, he dumped on the, the vaccine that developed during the Trump presidency. And look at what's happening today. We had to resign. You know, uh, so, uh, I, I shouldn't say surprisingly because I just uh, knowing President Trump as well as I do, but. I think many folks might be uh, a little surprised to know that uh, that we haven't seen President Trump um, uh, beat up on Andrew Cuomo, and probably won't. I mean, I, I think he, I think he thought that um, or thinks that it's not as though uh, Andrew Cuomo is no longer with us; he's just no longer with us in office, or at least uh, after the next fourteen days. Um, but there's a bit of a uh, live by the wokeism, die by the wokeism, or live by the virtue signaling, die by the virtue signaling uh, that we've, we've seen from Andrew Cuomo and the Democrats. Uh, but uh, look, is is Cuomo uh, definitely uh, a jerk? Absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of the things that were thrown at him, I think he never really had a chance to. Um, uh, it, they were never really fleshed out in the public. There was never so much of a, a uh, there's no sort of formal trial. Um, and I think that, uh, I, I think just seeing that happen to Cuomo, I think President Trump, uh, someone who's had a lot of false accusations, uh, made against him, I think he's, he looks at that and say, hey, this is, um, uh, you get a little bit concerned about the direction of the country when uh, people just get thrown overboard before there's any sort of uh, formal trial or things like that. Um, but politically, yeah, I mean, he, he, in just interaction wise, Cuomo's a big jerk. Uh, but he also, um, never really had a chance to, uh, to explain his case. So, um, Anyways, that's just uh, probably a little longer an answer that, that you're looking for. Um, but uh, he was not he was not dunking on uh, on Cuomo uh, at all. No. Uh, and I hear that. And and the truth is, I, I don't know if it was him or somebody spoke about due process. And really, even if somebody is accused of all kinds of things, there is due process. And I've seen some commentators who you think would not be sympathetic to Cuomo saying, hey, Maybe it was Rudy Giuliani who said, I think it was Rudy Giuliani who said there has to be some sort of due process. You can't just go by what, you can't, there's no trial by media. Yeah, and that's, uh, looks, so that's so much of, uh, and that fits in with everything that we're, uh, with, why you see Getter and you see the kind of this counterculture pushback on uh, the Silicon Valley oligarchs and hopefully the signal does not go out this time. Uh, but you see these, uh, these handful of uh, small group of people determining what your free speech rights are. And, you know, that's a, I think it's a concern anytime there's this rush to judgment or people get eliminated or wiped out. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when people are being deplatformed and shadow banned for saying that the uh, COVID-19 came from a lab in Wuhan. And, whoa, wait a minute, you can't say something that radical or we're going to have to go and deplatform you. Or they, they dared to criticize the anointed one, Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, you know, or uh, heaven forbid they raise issues with the election. Uh, I, I think the the media is so quick to rush to judgment in anything. Uh, again, uh, you know, by no means am I, uh, you know, defending Andrew Cuomo. I mean, guy seems like a, a total jerk, uh, but he never got a chance. Really, I mean, today was the first time that he even he really tried to push back on this stuff. Uh, but it's uh, it, it doesn't matter. It's uh, you know, look at Chrissy Teigen. Uh, one day she's the darling, find out she's a bully. Next day she's out. Well, that's the media. The media, in fact, the media helped build up Donald Trump because they figured that it would be good for their ratings. And then when he won, which they didn't expect, then they try to destroy him. 
Exactly. No, and that's, uh, you know, part of the thing, too, is that, uh, you know, we saw it this last year, whether it be with, um, you know, like I brought up the, the COVID reference or um, e- even when the media and uh, big media and big tech teamed up to make sure that the Hunter Biden story never got out, that there was not a robust discussion uh, about the, the laptop. And in fact, uh, Facebook and Twitter um, shutting down accounts and not allowing people to, to share any of that news. I've never seen, we've never seen anything like that in, in U.S. history before. I mean, uh, you know, the fact that, um, uh, that literally this handful of people can determine, uh, what is and what isn't free speech, I think is concerning. And I mean, obviously we're talking about, uh, the U.S., but, uh, you know, Zev, obviously you're someone who's, uh, who's interviewed a lot of folks internationally. If you're fired up as an American about these a handful of these guys, uh, billionaires in Silicon Valley, picking winners and losers in the free speech debate. Imagine if you're not even in the U.S. Imagine if you're in Israel. Imagine if you're in the U.K. Imagine if you're in Brazil. Like, wait a minute. Why are these three billionaires in California tell me what I can or can't say as a resident of, of my own country? Absolutely correct. In fact, the Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran can say all kinds of terrible things about destroying the West, destroying Israel. His tweets have not been taken off, but others exercising free speech, including saying the conspiracy, you know, that the whole COVID originated in China will get thrown off. Um, and, and there's something wrong with the whole system here, but maybe it's society. You were, you've been on CNN, you're on Newsmax, so you're also part of the media. But from what I understand, we have changed where it's not only have we become so partisan, but even a group like the American Civil Liberties Union may not like them, but they always defended unpopular causes. Today, the ACLU is on record saying they will only defend causes they like. They will no longer defend causes they don't like. We've changed as a society. No, and I think it's a, a slippery slope because right now, yes, much of the the uh, the passion for the free speech movement is in the right of center space, and it's not just the U.S. It's even the same in in most of the uh, the Western world, so to speak. But you know, it wasn't that long ago that the the passion for the free speech debate was say uh, surrounding gay rights or gay marriage, uh, or even before that when we talk about women's rights, um, and so uh, the pendulum and the free speech debate swings pretty frequently and that's why i tell my uh my democratic friends is hey you might be um uh, you might be clapping or, or looking to dunk on um uh, someone who's in a right of center center space for for being uh you know censored or deplatformed the pendulum is going to come back and you're going to find yourself the exact same uh woke people are going to come back and say uh, hey we now agree or disagree with your position so time to deplatform me it's a it's a slippery slope now, it is slippery slope. By the way, did you have any criticism or face any discrimination or any problems because you're such a staunch defender and ally of President Donald Trump? Did it affect your career at all? And I'm curious how you got hired by CNN. Yeah, so a couple of things. Actually, it's it's funny on the CNN side. So I uh, teamed up with CNN early 2017, was with them until just about the end of 2018, beginning of uh, uh, almost the beginning of 2019, uh, as you pointed out. You know, at one point, uh, CNN, uh, in fact, it was, uh, I believe, during the, the presidential transition, I was I got done doing a, um, uh, an afternoon appearance and I was walking out and Jeff Zucker, the um, uh, the CEO of CNN, followed me out and said, hey, Jason, I want to talk to you. And I think you'd be a good fit if you don't go into the administration. I think you'd be a good fit to join the network. And I will say that in the first six, seven months that I was with CNN, I will say, uh, look, there were a lot of times there'd be the 
you know, I might find myself on a panel where it's like a five on one or something like that. That it's actually kind of more fun then because you can enrage them and, uh, uh, and they're not, they don't know how to work with each other. And so you can kind of, sometimes it's fun to be that one person, just throw bombs and make them all uh, enraged. So that can be fun. Um, but toward the end, by the time we got into 2018, um, they did not want to actually have any debate at all. Uh, it became, uh, it really became, I think CNN made a business decision. Uh, and again, this is business because you're talking about, you know, they're making billions of dollars that, uh, they'd make a lot more money being MSNBC light than having the, the traditional CNN, um, uh, mantra of being down the middle and fostering debate from both sides. So I think they started beginning in 2017 of wanting to have people on both sides a year later realized, Hey, all the money is just attacking in attacking president Trump. And that's why you don't see any Trump supporters that are having anything to do with the network anymore. And it worked for them for a while, but since Donald Trump left, left office, I think the ratings have really gone downhill. So it's funny you say that because they have, but, you know, they, they play the game so much in the, you know, the targeted demographic universe and, you know, they, they find ways to, uh, you know, to, to angle and spin it. But here's the thing. Um, the, the liberals and, and the Democrats were fired up. Um, they were fired up to, uh, to go after President Trump. I mean, look at the way that, uh, what was it? I think last week, three of the top 10 books in the New York Times bestseller list were Trump, uh, post presidency books. I mean, I think the only group of people in the country who like to talk about President Trump more than people who voted for him are people who voted against him. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, that, that's really where, uh, you know, Biden's so boring and Kamala Harris is such a disaster, uh, that nobody really wants to talk about them. But President Trump is just, uh, he's everything he does is, is ratings gold. And so, uh, when, when he stepped aside, um, you know, the wokesters, uh, their ratings suffered. Jason, when is your book coming out? Oh boy. Um, I don't think, I don't think you're going to see a book from me anytime soon, but it, uh, um, uh, you know, at some point, you know, odds are I'll probably do something, but you know, boy, I tell you, it'll be, uh, uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be a good one, but you know, probably years down the road. We're speaking with Jason Miller. He is a communication strategist. He's a political advisor, CEO, best known as being the chief spokesman for Donald Trump's 2016 campaign, 2020 campaign. And currently he has a, a new group. It's a, he's a CEO of a group called Getter, which is a conservative social network. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. Stay tuned. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk line radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. 
Welcome back to the program, Mom. Zev Brenner. Jason Miller is our guest. He is a political advisor, communication strategist. He's a CEO. He's best known as being the chief spokesman for Donald Trump's 2016 campaign. He also was involved in the 2020 re-election campaign. He still maintains his connection. He was with CNN for a while. He's become a contributor to Newsmax. And now he's a CEO of a company called Getter, a conservative social network, which I believe has about 2 million viewers at this point in time, correct? Yeah, uh, right about 2 million uh, users. And, I, you know, the, the fascinating thing on this is it's about 50-50 U.S. versus international. Uh, so about a million folks in the U.S., a million others around the world. And Brazil is about 15% excuse me, of our of our customer base, um, which is fascinating. We have some of the, excuse me, some of the Bolsonaros who've, um, who've joined the platform, but it's really exciting to see uh, all of this, uh, this international interest in a platform. And there's really kind of a consistent theme running through it is that people are fired up and they're ticked off at big tech uh, and this feeling that big tech is oppressing or censoring or deplatforming. Uh, and practicing political discrimination. And it's uh, it's a, a beautiful thing, I think, when uh, people in, in this right of center space, which, of course, we want people from uh, all aspects of ideology. Uh, but when so many people in different countries who, uh, you know, no one wakes up in Japan saying I'm a Republican or Democrat, same way, you know, no one wakes up in Brazil and says I'm labor or I'm Tory. Uh, but people can wake up and say, I support free speech. I'm tired of these big tech elites telling me what to do. I want to I want to join this platform where I'm not going to get kicked off. Well, but isn't it so difficult because you're up against the big boys, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Googles with who knows how many hundreds of millions of people. So anytime you start something, it's going to be small in comparison and who knows how long it can take to grow big. And by that time, the new innovations and they've moved on to other platforms. Yep. And, and there's always uh, the chance on that. But here's Zev, here's my kind of my philosophy on things is uh, I think most people are upset uh, and think that power is consolidated in the hands of too few people. Uh, we've seen this broader trend with some of the, the traditional media consolidation over the last few years, over the last decade or so. Uh, but we're really seeing it in social media. We really have these, you know, when we say I throw out a term like big tech oligarch. Uh, and again, hopefully don't the signal doesn't drop. Uh, you know, that's not just because it, <laughs> they're it, listening. It sounds they're cute. listening. Yeah, uh, that's not just because it uh, because it sounds cute, because that's what it is. I mean, that is if you want to see what an oligarch is, uh, it's these guys who run these big tech companies in, in Silicon Valley. But we can here's uh, the, we could wait for Congress to fix it, which if you're waiting for Congress to fix anything, uh, a it might be a while and b um, you know, there are some smart people in Congress There are a lot more unsmart people uh, than smart people in Congress, in my opinion. The good chance they just screw it up, make it even worse. That's one thing we can follow the court route, which, again, I applaud people who've uh, who've made the effort, including President Trump, to try to have the seek uh, some kind of legal remedy for uh, the brain damage uh, that uh, these big tech companies have caused. Or you can take the free market approach and say, you know what, I'm going to come up with a platform that's bigger, better badder and cooler than anything that the big tech guys have come out with and uh, we're going to have the free market show and look we got to a million users in three days fastest ever uh, for any social media company in history uh we're at two million now uh we're continuing to grow and so that's the approach that i took and uh, that's why I've, I've told everyone who either believes in free speech or opposes cancel culture come and check out getter it's a cool platform now i spoke to harvard law professor meredith alan dershowitz about this issue 
and according to him, and he's probably correct, is that the big three companies don't have to give equal time, don't have to really engage in free speech. They're pretty much private companies. I mean, not publicly regulated companies. So they can pretty much do what they want. And what he said was, if you don't like it, form your own company, which is what exactly what you did. But it may be, unless they're regulated and, and the FCC does not, you know, monitor them the same way they do cable TV and public broadcast stations, uh, and cable stations around the country, unless that happens, they can do what they want and they can throw you off one day and put you back on and play the game with no consequences. Well, yeah, and I think you're exactly right. And I think where you're going to have a reckoning, a reckoning at some point is with Section 230, which uh, allows, uh, keep in mind that came about in 1996 when they were, you know, we had essentially blogs back then or, you know, these, these online forums, um, of people, uh, you know, even before you had Facebook or Twitter, these social media, uh, platforms. But what we're seeing now with the political discrimination, that was never something that, uh, that Section 230 meant to uh, defend against. Section 230 was to say, if you're going to have this uh, digital town square, that we want to protect the town square, that it's you know, we're not going to hold it um, uh, against the town square itself uh, for people going on there and, and being knuckleheads, for lack of a better term. Uh, we want to make sure that town square is always there and vibrant. But also they never thought that, well, hey, uh, is there really some overlords in charge of the town square saying, ah, this person can speak, but that person can't speak. That's what uh, our geniuses in Congress back in the mid-90s never uh, never envisioned or never really fully thought of. And that's that's the problem right now is that, uh, look, I think there are some, um, uh, some issues that need to be uh, raised and dealt with probably both from Congress and from the legal side. I just don't have much confidence they'll do it right or they'll do it quickly. I would assume that if uh, Donald J. Trump, the former president, were to join Getter, it would bring a lot of his followers to the platform as well. I would say, um, I can tell you from market research, it would be a lot and it would be very quick. Uh, and so, um, that's, uh, uh you know, we're, we're talking in the, the tens of millions, uh, uh territory, but it's, uh, there's such a passion, such a hunger, uh, to, uh, to have something to push back against big tech, uh, to kind of get out from, from their clutches. Um, uh, you're exactly right, Zev. So is he joining in the near future or is that still a matter of negotiations and discussion? Uh, we're we're still negotiating, and uh, uh, somehow I found myself in a negotiation game with one of the uh, someone who actually wrote the book on negotiating, uh, which is uh, kind of an experience itself. But the art I'll, of the I'll, deal. I'll, I'll, I'll save I'll save a chapter on that for you know my own book at some point. But you know it, it's it is fun sitting across from the guy who um, uh, it, it, who wrote art of the deal and saying okay let's negotiate some more. So it's uh, it, it's fun. But I, I here's the thing. Um, President Trump uh, definitely wants to be back on uh, social media. Um, he knows he's able to get his message across now, but it's just it's different. Um, and I think he wants to be back on on social media. Uh, and he also knows he's got to measure twice, cut once. He's got to kick the tires. I mean, when we have conversations, I mean, he really gets into the granularity about uh, how exactly does your uh, does your moderation policy work? How exactly does your storage work? It's uh, he. I mean, he's asking the tough questions, uh, the questions he should be asking. Uh, and if I were him, I'd be doing the same thing. So, but you do believe in the passage of time, you will come to some sort of agreement where he will be part of it. 
Uh, I think that uh, just out of uh, an abundance of caution to make sure I don't get myself in any trouble, I will um, I will hedge uh, on that and say that uh, 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 I'll, I'll give you a very political answer like President Trump has uh, many options. Uh, uh, certainly, I hope to get them. Uh, that's why I'm making the, the big effort to. But I, uh, I, I wouldn't want to uh, put words in his mouth on, on this particular thing since we're in the middle of talks. Now, there was some point before he left office where there was some speculation that the president would form his own TV network. There was even a rumor, which I don't believe to be true, they would buy CNN, but at least he would form a, a media company, a television cable network. Was there any truth to that, or is that still part of the lexicon somewhere? Uh, they, You know what? There are, just since I've, I've been gone for a couple months now, um, I know there's still some plans. Uh, I know they still have some bigger plans on the media front. Uh, I do not believe anything's imminent. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things, too, is that keep in mind the traditional media models uh, are kind of dead. Um, and everybody's trying to figure out uh, how best you incorporate aspects of traditional media with social media. Uh, and I, I think that's where you're going to see the president. Um, really uh, look to uh, to reemerge and engage. Um, I, I think that you know the even the uh, even the the aspect of of cable news in so many ways is antiquated at this point. I mean, it's it is hard work to grow a network. You have to uh, pay all these carriers and get picked up in different systems, and it's this whole. I mean, it's a you know practically a decades long process when uh, when when you look how long it's taken people to. But Newsmax uh, seems to be picking up some steam lately, right? They're at the expense so of Fox. I, I tell you, Ruddy, uh, and obviously I say this is a biased uh, Newsmax contributor. Uh, Ruddy's done it uh, pretty darn fast, and I think that um, he's really been a testament. Uh, but look, I mean, Chris has also been at this for for a while himself. I mean, it's. Uh, um, you know, it, it does not happen uh, that fast, but uh, uh, it's where I think President Trump, you're going to see him as something a little bit more on the social media side as opposed to the, the traditional media. But again, um, I, I don't want to cut off any options for him. Is the president disappointed in Fox News? Is he still watching them? Did he feel that he was betrayed by what was once he considered an ally? Uh, of course, he's been frustrated uh, by Fox News. I think going to uh, even before election night, there were a number of issues. The election night, the early decision on Arizona uh, greatly upset him. Um, that's not that's not too big a surprise. I think the um, I think the uh, the lack of attention uh, that Fox has paid to uh, the concerns around the voting concerns around 2020, uh, I think are frustrating. And even just the little uh, ticky tack things we saw with Fox going in and editing one of President Trump's answers from his interview with Dan Bongino last weekend show that um, uh, that uh, you know, Fox Fox is worried about Fox. Uh, Fox is not a, a pro Trump network. Fox is a pro Fox network, and whatever they think is going to help them, whether it be with uh, with advertisers or whatever they think they're going to do, uh, that's that's what's driving their interest, not uh, the desire to say help President Trump. We're speaking and looking at new social networks. We're looking at the Trump years as well. Our guest is Jason Miller, communication strategist, political advisor, CEO, best known as chief spokesman for the Trump 2016-2020 campaign. His new company is called Getter. In the years that you were with, in the White House with Donald Trump and working with him, um, it, and what impresses me is we had somebody 
Thomas Rose the other week, who worked in Vice President Pence's office. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Thomas Rose. Um, but he said that there was an atmosphere which was very welcoming to the Jewish community, especially to observant Orthodox Jews. You had a kosher kitchen in the White House. You had a booth for the Festival of Booths in the White House. So he said there was a very nice atmosphere, and he has a warm, wonderful relationship with the Jewish community, especially the Orthodox one. Can you give us some more insight? Yeah, uh, I mean, look, you look at a lot of the, the President Trump's uh, key advisors, and, and just to be clear on this, so Stephen Miller uh, was at the White House the entire time. I was always on the outside, uh, but obviously very active and, and at the White House quite a bit. But, uh, you know, I uh, ended up in President Trump's orbit because of Jared Kushner, and so I'm very close with Jared and Avi Berkowitz. Uh, obviously, their their work on the Abraham Accords and a number of things in the Middle East um, uh, really speaks for itself. Um, but you, you look at Stephen Miller, you look at a lot of other uh, Stephen Mnuchin, um, many of President Trump's uh, most prominent advisors uh, are the the Jewish faith. Um, I think there's always a uh, a great affinity towards uh, towards Israel, um, and uh, it, yeah, I'd say it was a very uh, a very um, uh, friendly and inviting uh, place for people of the the Jewish community. Um, and so I would I would agree with Thomas in his description. No, so I was just impressed to hear some of the religious amenities that uh, one wouldn't expect to see in the White House would exist there. It didn't get a lot of press attention. So when I heard it, it sort of caught my eye, my ear, I should say, and I certainly was impressed so with that. What stands out during those four years, the media portrayed it as being tumultuous and, you know, a lot of factions and fighting and, and backbiting, etc. How would you characterize the four years that you're looking from the outside, but you were from the outside on the inside? Yeah, I think, uh, look, the, the swamp fights back. And I think that uh, President Trump is really the only really the only second outsider uh, we've ever had in American politics to get to. Uh, um, get to the White House, and the first one who's truly an outsider, of course, Andrew Jackson had been in a number of offices before. Uh, but it's uh, when you're going to uh, to upend the apple cart, uh, the swamp fights back, and that's the. It doesn't matter if they're Republican or Democrat. If you're part of the swamp, you're part of the swamp. And I think that the fact that President Trump basically had this two front war, uh, with, which number one was doing the actual job he was elected to do, uh, but then also to uh, to go and try to defend himself from the attacks from the swamp. Um, I, I think it, 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 you know, if, if president Trump did not have that constant distraction, I mean, I think only what we could have accomplished and he accomplished in my opinion, more than any other, um, anyone else in their first term in, in presidential history. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just a reminder that, uh, in DC, there's only one party and that's the swamp. And if, if um, it takes someone really special to take on the swamp. I'm not sure if the swamp ever went away, <laughs> but okay, because uh, you see so much corruption, so many things that are going on. In the few moments we have left, you mentioned CNN and its bias towards Trump, and you were there, and obviously things changed. Did you notice or encounter some of the things which the Jewish community is very upset about at CNN? Is there a bias against Israel? Uh, well, I mean, it's here's the thing on the, the bias against Israel – I didn't pick up that. I mean, there are a number of um, uh, very proud members of the, the Jewish American community um, at CNN who work at CNN. They're, they're pretty good friends, and, and uh, none of um, my Jewish friends at CNN ever expressed anything that you know they felt uncomfortable or there was a bias. Here's what we're – and look, you, it's kind of another way of saying it. I think CNN would bend over backwards 
um, uh, bent over backwards to uh, basically try to offer what they would interpret or they would um, uh, describe as being some, uh, you know, trying to show these alternative viewpoints like Rashida Tlaib and uh, Ilan Omar and AOC and the crazed members of the squad uh, and saying, well, we can't just be in lockstep with Israel. We have to think about the, um, you know, we have to uh, think about uh, other communities. And they would just bend over backwards so much to um, uh, to try to give a more positive uh, spin on, say, some of the crazy. And thank you, Jason Miller, communication strategist, political advisor and CEO best known as being the chief spokesman for Donald Trump's 2016-2020 campaign. He was with CNN, is with Newsmax, and currently his position is the CEO of Getter, a conservative social network company. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. Stay tuned. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening to TalkLine Communications Network, America's leading Jewish radio and TV network since 1981. For continuous, non-stop Jewish broadcasting, please go right now online to TalkLineCommunications.com. For more information on all of TalkLine's Jewish radio and TV shows, please call 212-769-1925 or email info at TalkLineCommunications.com. Our 24-hour day listen line is 605-562-5174. That's 24-hour day listen line, 605-562-5174. Thank you for listening. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 